This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. Today, we're delving into a job that I think is one of the most mysterious jobs in all of publishing, at least (laughs) to the outside viewer, uh, the sales rep. Uh, We're excited to have Jess Brigman, the National Accounts Manager at Macmillan Children's, here today to talk to us all about the ins and outs of what a sales rep is and what they do. Jess, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got interested in comics, and what you're doing now? Uh, yeah. Uh, also, thank you for coming to see me. I didn't know my job was so mysterious. Um, um, yeah, so I, uh, I'm i the National Accounts Manager at uh, Macmillan, and I represent all Macmillan juvenile titles, YA, um, basically everything 0 to 18, to Barnes & Noble, and also to Ingram, which is a wholesale company out of Tennessee. Um, and I've been doing this job um, at this particular house for two years and I've also worked at a different house prior to that. Before all of that, I'm originally from Kentucky, a very, very small town. You won't know it, so I won't say it. And um, I'm an English major, which I think is pretty usual um, for this gig. So about eight years ago, I moved to New York City. I wanted to get into publishing, um, uh, and this is the place to do it. I had been working at the University Press of Kentucky, reading their slush pile and doing internet stuff because I was the resident um young person and (laughs) young um, people always know so much about the internet so much Uh, i didn't really still don't so uh that was my first job acquisitions um and then i moved here and i was applying to a bunch of jobs trying to get an editorial gig um and then i um ended up getting a call for a sales job actually um which i didn't uh really anticipate it's funny you mentioned that sales is so mysterious i don't think sales is a job that anyone really comes out of the gate saying, man, I would really love to sell. It's just kind of um, like my thought of sales is always used car guy, you know, yeah, kind of like gross. Like death of a salesman, yes. like door to door. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross kind of stuff. Tupperware parties. Yeah, Tupperware parties, pyramid schemes, all of that. Yeah, like kind of gross selling stuff. And I was, I was a Girl Scout and I also was just never the top seller. So I just didn't think... I was a good salesperson. Anyway, um, the trick was is you need to sell something you really like. So um, I ended up getting a job at Abrams Books. They are uh, an art book publisher here in New York. Um, And I was there for about five years. And that was really my entry into comics. They do a lot of really cool graphic novel books. Yeah, yeah. Abrams Comic Arts um, is the the major imprint um, that publishes comics over there. And so I really got to work with a lot of the masters, uh, you know, uh, I, a lot of monographs um, of Will Eisner and Jules Pfeiffer, um, and uh, we were publishing, they're the Wimpy Kid publisher, so that's kind of comics adjacent, um, yeah. and Abrams also published... Um, CC Bell's El Defo. Yeah. So, um, and that was right after CC won the Newberry. So it was a really exciting time to be to be working with comics. So, can you talk about what the day to day job of a sales rep is? You said you sell things, obviously, yeah. but you're not kind of one of those people in like a call service center where you're just constantly on the phone being like, would you like a book? Okay. (laughs) Like, you know, 30 calls a a half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mostly talk to people on the phone who, that I know. Um, so my job, it's, um, bare minimum. It's attending sales calls. I guess you could start with that. Um, so I, what is a sales call? Sales call. So a sales call is, um, I see Barnes & Noble, for example, um, once a month, and I sell titles six months in advance of their pub date. And I um, sell to multiple different buyers at, at Barnes & Noble. Um, I sell to a toddler picture book buyer. I sell to a nonfiction buyer, YA and middle grade. Uh, also, they have a brand new institutional buyer, which is really exciting. Um, and I go in with an entire month's worth of titles uh, separated into Excel grids. And uh, we uh, we go through the list. Um, what I go in with is everything that I can. I go in with a cover, uh, a galley, which is the kind of book before the book. Um, there are a lot of them in my office right now. And then I go in with, you know, all of my sales information. I go in with 
comp title sales. So the book that we are comparing our current book to, um, how that sold, um, if it's an in-house book or someone else's book, we talk about that. Um, and then I usually go in with a projection somewhere in my head. I've come up with a number um, based on those comp title sales, based on marketing and publicity, um, based on house enthusiasm, a lot of things. I go in with those and um, and we have a conversation. Uh, I've been working with BNN for a while now, so I know the buyers pretty well and we, we, we talk a lot. So that's a sales call, and I do that once a month. What do you do the rest of the time? What do I do the rest? The rest of the time is is the bulk of my job. I feel like what I always say is I represent McMillan to Barnes and Noble and Ingram, and I represent Barnes and Noble to uh, McMillan. McMillan. Thank you, McMillan. Um, and so that is. You know, it's a lot of, you know, the meetings that we have uh, in-house, I attend those and I kind of represent Barnes & Noble and what Barnes & Noble would think or like or want to say about a book. So I go in with information about other books, competitor titles. I go in with just a knowledge of of timing, what their schedule is like, what their promo schedule is like. Um, I go in with knowledge about you know, what uh, what other books look like and how maybe our books should be informed by that look. Um, and I basically just kind of represent Barnes & Noble in all of our various meetings. And then going out to Barnes & Noble, it's really just anything that we're talking about in-house and Barnes & Noble needs to weigh in on it. I do that. I kind of ask them um, and or I know the answer and I just kind of Confirm. So it sounds like you're kind of an ambassador, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like you're a diplomat between these two countries. Yes, exactly. I'm a Libra, um, so it's also really, really good for me. Uh, it's all everything in balance. And um, yes, it's totally that. It's totally ambassador um, and making sure everyone's happy. <laughs> Can you take us through the process with one book? What's the first time you hear about it? And how does that lead to the sales call? And are there parts of your job with that book beyond the sales call, too? Yeah. um, So first time you're hearing about it. First time. So the first time you hear about a book um, as a salesperson is really the acquisition meeting. So it's pretty early on in the process, which is kind of the part that I love. Um, It's not just, here's the final book, go sell it. Um, We hear about the book as shortly after the editor gets it in their inbox. Uh, We read the acquisition, and then we attend an acquisition meeting where we discuss the book in a big room full of people, um, and we talk about opportunity, we talk about numbers, we talk about... Uh, you know, timing, uh, all of that. So that's, that's acquisition. Um, And how much of that meeting is your taste versus your thoughts about Barnes and Noble and Ingram? Yeah, so it had, it's supposed to be all of uh, the accounts feedback. Um, So that's what I try and lean into. It's easy to get into Uh, saying I a lot. Um, I really like this project. I think this was really funny. But what you should be doing as a sales rep is this is a picture book. I'm going to put on my picture book buyer's hat. What would she say? Would she laugh? Would she roll her eyes? How many would she like? Does she want this in May or does she want this in June? So that is, as a salesperson, what you should always be putting forward is what the account wants. Um, If it's going to sell at Barnes & Noble, if it's going to sell mostly at Amazon or Ingram or some other channel in the the field and indies. So what might be some feedback that you would give on a graphic novel submission? So right now, um, a graphic novel particularly young reader, it's yes, gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> um, yes, Barnes & Noble just started that section, yeah, which, is, which is great. It's amazing. So um, I, we were just talking about El Defo. Barnes & Noble didn't have, um, for all of you at home who haven't been in a Barnes & Noble recently, um, they didn't always have a graphic novel section for middle grade, and they call it young reader. And they actually still don't have a YA section for graphic novels. They're either mixed in section or they're broken out and put into the adult section. So uh, they, you know, more recently, last year actually, um, just saw what everyone else is seeing, um, that sales uh, have been trending up uh, double digits over the last 
10 years. And um, they said, we have to do something about this. We're going to pull these out. Um, so yeah, so, you know, middle grade is a space where I think everyone is, is publishing into. It's really exciting. There are a couple of voices who, who kind of own that space. But there's so much room for so many more voices. And so unless it's, this is, unless it's just horrible, it's going to be a yes from me from a Barnes & Noble perspective. And then um, if it's something, if it's something else, then we have a really realistic conversation. If it's YA, then I, it's again, it's kind of my job to say, I don't really have a space for this right now, but how can we get around that? What can we do to make sure people are finding it in whatever section it is? Do we want to put this on a promotion so that people are finding it there in section? Um, so we, you know, I'm, I feel lucky to have worked at houses where there's a lot of transparency and a lot of kind of real time discussions um, because it makes it a lot easier when you go into the sales call and you know what's expected of you. So like this is a little bit of an aside, but mm. I keep thinking about this while I'm listening to you talk about this. So you were talking earlier about how, for instance, at the acquisitions meeting, like I need to be representing the interests of, not the interests, but like the perspective of, for, for instance, Barnes & Noble. Yeah. So do you also end up in situations where it's the other side where you're like uh, talking to your contacts at Barnes & Noble, for instance, and you're like, you know, we're talking about this book at the acquisitions meeting, and it's a little outside what you are usually looking for, but mm -hmm. I really believe in this book, and I want to bring it to your attention. Like, does that kind of go back and forth, or yeah, do you feel yeah. like that's part of your building of the relationship with them, is them listening to you when you say, look, I know, right, I right. know, this is a weird one. <laughs> no, but, yeah. yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. So again, I've been working with the same, largely the same people for a long time, and it really is a conversation. Um, sometimes in acquisitions, we, I'll get a book that I'm really, really excited about, and, and I'll show it to BNN right then. I'll show it to an account immediately. Um, and if I'm not sure about it, then even more reason to kind of say, I'm, I don't know. You know, we, we published a book recently that was a picture book that was kind of a weird shape. It was really long and very, very narrow, and everyone was worried about you know, how it was going to be shelved, if you would be able to see it, would, would consumers react to this in a bad way? Um, and so that's the kind of stuff, you know, if it's never happened to me before, I definitely would go to them and say, do you think you're going to have a problem with this? Um, and then they're, they, they let you know, because it's also on them. Um, if, you, if they say, no, it's not going to be a problem, and then you sell it in, and they say, oh, this is a huge problem. Why didn't you tell us about this? <laughs> um, so I try and catch those early on. Um, but yeah, if there's something too that's, I mean, publishing, a lot of publishing, some publishing is publishing to trends. A lot of publishing is, this is not, this book doesn't exist. That's why we're publishing it. Um, and so that takes some finessing. That takes time. Um, middle grade graphic novels has really taken some time. Um, decades. Have, yeah, <laughs> decades to have that conversation over and over and over again. Um, and it's honestly, you know, it's tough because we get the account feedback and we bring it back to the house and the house isn't always excited or happy about that feedback. But um, it's also not all on the account. A lot, you know, it's consumers. It's it's what they actually are going into a store or clicking on online. And we are kind of beholden to that. Um, so, again, we sh you know, we want to be publishing new things, new voices, and new formats with new looks. Um, I mean, that's why all of this working together is the best way to do it. Um, lines of communication, lots of transparency, and just trying to make it, you know, make it the best book possible. Yeah. So you go to that acquisition meeting. You recommend we should buy this book. Barnes & Noble's going to love it. Yeah. Ingram's going to love it. Other voices in the room also saying, yes, we should do this. And they decide to publish the book. They successfully acquire the book. Yeah. What's the next step for you? Um, so next step for me skips a couple of editorial steps. The next time I see the book is... I would say it's sales conference. Um, so that's, it's just a meeting. Um, it's a meeting where we, uh, the kind of the same people are sitting in a room and the, the titles have officially been positioned on the list. Um, and so then we talk about, is this positioning accurate? Is the number that we're going to announce and print, is that still the same number we want? Do we still want to call this book the same thing? We talk about titles a lot, you know, we also sometimes, by the time a book has kind of uh, percolated a little bit, uh, when we see it again, we, there's more excitement. Um, so we kind of, you know, escalate the book at that point. Um, 
After that is probably cover design. Um, and that is a part that I really love. Um, and we, same, same story, we sit in a big room and we talk about it. We're presented a couple of different options from the designer of the book. And we talk about, um, you know, if it's going to work, if it needs to be blue instead, um, where the author name goes, if we need a reading line, a blurb, all kinds of stuff. And to what extent do accounts weigh in on covers? It kind of goes from not at all to a lot. Yeah. How much is that, what is that scale like? <laughs> the scale is um, the scale is it really shouldn't be down to the account. So I'll, I'll back up. It should be again. I'm sitting in that room. I'm representing my account. So the book that I'm trying to see in front of me is a book that Barnes and Noble or Ingram can sell. Um, Ingram isn't consumer facing as much, so it's a little different. And it's the same for the other um, reps. You know, the target rep has her idea of what her book should look like. Um, merch, same story. Um, and 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 now in the age of Amazon, we talk a lot about what a book cover will look like as a thumbnail because that's a reality. And if you can't read it big, you're not going to be able to read it as a thumbnail. So we 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 hash that out too. It depends on how the book is positioned. If it's positioned as a as a book that needs to work and at retail, then um, Barnes and Noble has more say, which means that I will be the one who takes the lead on the conversation. The only time when they're really directly asked about a book is when. <sighs> they have really big expectations for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Really, they, when they really believe in it. Right. And really, want to do really something big. amazing with yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Like, well, sometimes we get to a, a stalemate, too, and we'll have two, and we don't know which one to go with, or we're not all feeling something, but we want to make sure we're feeling it or not feeling it, and then we will go to an account and say, this is what we're thinking, what do you think? We try and keep that to a minimum, just because it puts a lot of power in one, and it's yeah. and it also puts a lot of pressure on them. They get the final say, but then they're kind of beholden to that, and if it doesn't work, it ends up being their fault, and so we try and avoid yeah. that. And it's not something you could do for every book. I mean, no. Mac Kids does 600 books a year. Yeah, yeah. It's like the emails to Amazon. Yeah. Three a day right. asking their, their cover information. It would be a lot. So I'm seeing behind you in your office that you have, for instance, some special editions yeah. uh, from Barnes & Noble for different books. Where do those come into this conversation? Right. So um, exclusive editions are a relatively new program that Barnes & Noble supports. Um, and it's really only been the last, gosh, maybe the last five or so years, maybe a little bit longer than that. And it's really just, I mean, it's honestly um, Barnes & Noble's answer to dealing with Amazon, to dealing with a lot of lost market share. And market share is just an account's share of what is currently out and selling in the marketplace. So they were losing a lot of market share because, uh, you know, because. And um, what can they offer customers that Amazon can't offer them? Um, and what they can offer is a specialized version of the book. So it's still the same book, but... Um, what we do, we do a lot of YA. So YA is a, a particular fan base that is just rabid for additional content, whether it's about the characters in the book, a lot of in-world stuff, um, or it's about the actual author. So the author as celebrity plays a, a big part in a lot of our exclusive editions. Um, and um, that happens... Um, if it's a really big book and I know everyone's going to be a player in it and I want BNN to have an advantage, I'll usually ask Barnes & Noble if they want an exclusive edition. Um, then they say yes, and then I go back to the publisher and say, they would like this, can we patch out some ideas? And then sometimes it's a no, a lot of times it's a yes, because I think a lot of people see the value in it. Poor, poor, poor um, managing ed in production, and, and it just means a lot of different ISBNs for the same book. But everyone, you know, it's it's kind of a necessary evil right now. And when is this conversation happening in this kind of timeline that you've been outlining for us? Um, it happens earlier and earlier. Honestly, sometimes I've I've even spoken up. I think in an acquisition meeting and just said like, just count me in for an exclusive <laughs> edition. Um, and because I think that's you know you just kind of. Getting everyone used to the idea, at seeding, seeding that conversation. It has to happen pretty early because we only make money if we're able to print all of these books at the same time and then kind of tip in my versions. So it has to happen before we do the initial first print. 
Well before that. And presumably also if you're like the authors writing extra content or doing the extra stuff, you want to give them time to yes. write their extended biography of this character or whatever. I actually am now, after we're done, I'm going to flip through some of these because yeah. I'm curious what's no. in these books. And that's some of it. I mean, uh, you know, I will say, and and I just because I want everyone to know this and be okay with this, that a lot of times, you know, we we talk about not having the author write more because the author is already dealing with writing, <laughs> so much writing. And, um, you know, that to say that they're not writing another book is also really presumptuous. They finished ours and maybe they're working on another one. Um, they're expected to do all their social media, go on tour, do everything. And, and in addition to that, just write a couple of extra chapters is a really huge ask. So we try and use, um, you know, if there are like maps, um, character guide, something that can be more of a deep caption than like a chapter. Um, and we do, we've seen a lot of success with annotated chapters, which is where we ask an author to take their favorite chapter in the book, and then they kind of scribble all over it. They talk about, I know it's really adorable, it's really, and they're so engaged with it. It's actually very cool to see, I'll show you later. Um, they write what song they were listening to when they wrote that one scene, um, what they were eating, what they love about that one character. Um, so you're getting that kind of in-depth look, but it's not forcing them to write a whole new book. So you're figuring out the cover and probably the uh, exclusive edition cover <laughs> around the same time. What's next after that? After that, we usually go to a sales and marketing meeting. And that's when um, marketing and publicity will present their whole campaign to us, what the plan is for the book. And then we recap what we may or may not have heard from the buyers just yet and talk about what number we think we're going to get and if the campaign supports that number. We also talk about if we need more, if the campaign isn't quite there yet, um, if we need more advertising, if we need more support in school and library. Um, so we have uh, another honest conversation about uh, expectations and if um, and if we think that this is going to make the book work, you know. So that's next. And then after that, I sell it. I present it. Um, I go to Barnes & Noble, I take the p campaign, I take the galley and the cover that we've worked so hard on and and show them all of that. Is their response right then? Are they kind of like 10,000 copies? Or do they say, we will think about this and get back to you at right. some indefinite time? Someone once described sales as getting to yes. And like, that is your job is getting yes. So the answer to your question is, that is always the hope to, to for them to raise their hands in the air and say 10,000 copies. <laughs> um, it, and usually it happens. Uh, usually the bulk of my monthly list will get a number that day. And it's, you know, if you're you're doing it right. You usually have an idea of what your number is and they match your number or, you know, then we talk about higher or lower. The only exceptions to that, um, there are always exceptions. The exceptions are sometimes we don't always go in with a final cover. Sometimes things didn't work out or we have a cover that we're not sure about and we're showing them. Sometimes we don't have a cover yet. Um, like I said, six months pre-pub. Um, so sometimes it just hasn't worked out that way yet. Sometimes, uh, you know, it, a lot of it sometimes depends on trends, too. So, like, I sold um, this really graphic sex book recently, and they were like, oh, that's interesting. We have these other two sexy books coming out from these other two publishers, and they're coming out before yours. It's sex education. It's not, like, sex. Um, and, uh, and they said, we need to see how those are going to work before we really take on yours. So that happens occasionally too, is, you know, here's, here's this number, but if all of these things work, then we'll, we can revisit. And not every book is a Barnes and Noble book. Not every book is an Ingram book. You know, the channels are very specialized and sometimes the feedback is not right now, but come back to me and let me know if this is working in another channel. Um, so that's also a really big part of my job. Or if it gets like job. a major award or something. Exactly. Yeah. That's huge. So that it, that happens um, as much as you can win, win an award. But yeah, it's, um, you know, you're always... The frontless sell-in is kind of the, the the easy part because you know what you're going in with. It's kind of chasing everything and follow up uh, on the back end, which is actually the part that I like the most because that's when you're kind of digging in and you're seeing, you know, the books that are selling 200 copies a week 
those are fine. Those are good. You really don't need to do that much work there. You need to make sure that they're going to stay on promo or whatever. Yeah, and that's 200 copies at Barnes and Nobles around the United States, yes. not at one store right. or everywhere. Yeah, no. If you're selling 200 copies at one store, then we have a whole different conversation. To have. <laughs> but like a much better it's one. It's like a Harry Potter type yeah, exactly. situation. Yeah, like the, a lot of it is, you know, sometimes you get a book in and the package is spectacular and you're just really, really excited and maybe it wasn't positioned high enough or you feel like it's a really, it's an opportunity that you missed. So we have that conversation. Sometimes books get awards and you, they didn't take a chance on it the first go around. Um, and you have that conversation now. Um, a lot of times I monitor kind of under the radar sales. So anything that's selling less than 150 copies a week nationally, um, even less than that, I basically go down to like 50 copies a week because sometimes picture books are selling 50 copies a week and consistent sales over time. That's very, very telling to me, um, it, especially with limited quantities in the store and with no promotional placement, for example. Like if a book is selling 70 copies week over week for three months, that means something. That's actually really, really huge. And those are the opportunities that I find even a little bit more gratifying because those are the ones that you can chase and you're kind of just tapping on the buyer every single time saying like, hi, this book, remember this book? Hi, remember this book? Remember this book? And sometimes you win and they do something with it and sometimes not. Um, but yeah, I've worked on a book for three years once before it got on promo. So is any of this different for books that are part of a series? Does that change any part of this kind of process for you? Um, so it makes it initially a little bit easier just because you're basing something on track. You know, then the percentages change a little bit. So book one sales, book two sales at an account like Ingram, for example, they usually uh, decline by about at like 20%, and then book three goes back up. Um, so you take all of those figures into account when they're taking a book. Yeah, so if, a, and a, or if a book one didn't work, um, and then you publish two, three, four, six, and then all of a sudden something happens. All of a sudden there's an award, or, you know, another account starts selling it um, really, really well. It gets wrapped up in an algorithm on Amazon. Um, then you go back and you can start to have this kind of conversation all over again and repair that that track. So you do that sales call. What is the amount of time that elapses between the sales call and when the book goes on sale? We try and keep it at six months because then that gives me enough time to come back with any major challenges, any feedback, good, but especially bad. And we can try and fix it. Um, we can talk about whether... It, you know, whether the feedback is valid, whether it matters, um, how we can fix it. Um, yeah, so it just gives us a little bit of time. Again, if the cover was yellow and there's a huge problem with yellow and it needs to be green, then we can kind of have that conversation out six months out. That's like pretty far away from when the book's going on yeah. sale. It's not like you're calling them and saying, next week this book is going on yeah. sale. I think you should have it in your stores. Right. If we haven't spoken about it before. Right. It's, no, tons of it's time. It's very advanced notice. Yeah, really, really advanced notice. And like I said, it gives us a lot of time to just deal with anything that's thrown at us. So... I want to kind of talk about authors a little. And uh, one of the reasons I was saying that your job is mysterious is because I think that it's not one that's very author facing. Uh -huh. Like you are not like an editor or a marketing people person or a publicist, like talking to authors every day. People say the word to you a lot. Yes. In the context of another conversation, mm -hmm. like sales said this or sales did this. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it's like, and not necessarily in a negative way, just like it's sort of this nebulous sense of right. this entity that exists somewhere that right. does something, <laughs> had an opinion about my cover, oh, no. slash has an opinion about my tour, yeah. slash whatever. Right, yeah. right. So when do you have actual contact with authors like when are you seeing them or getting lunch with them or talking to them like does that ever happen it does happen but you're right to think it is very very infrequently um and i think some places it's kind of for the betterment of both parties because it's weird it's like it's like we're both so close to the book but we use entirely different languages about the book i don't see a lot of authors i see authors if uh if we're, we need to make a big deal of the book 
at an account. Sometimes we'll take the account out uh, or meet the buyer with the author. Sometimes I go out and meet the author just to kind of, you know, maybe we've been publishing with them for a while, but this next book is the one that's really going to take off. And they just maybe don't want that kind of big nebulous monster. Like, here's Jess. She's sales. When we say capital S sales, like, that's who it is um, to make it a little bit more familiar. Um, so a lot of it is kind of um, like... In my current job, I meet a lot of our big YA authors, which is really nice. We just signed on a, a large program with um, an author and illustrator team who are actually getting married in May. And I think we have something like six or seven books already signed up with them. And um, so we we wanted them to meet the, the kind of the team. Uh, so we took them out to lunch. They were and I got invited. So it was really it was really nice. And again, it's kind of if you're making a big investment and we want Barnes & Noble or any of your accounts to make a big investment, then you tend to, to meet those people. It's so interesting. You were talking about how the, you and the author both are very involved in this book, but in very different ways. I, I think that, you just assuming you were talking earlier, for instance, about what in your mind, what you think of as being significant sales numbers and whatever. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this who are like, only 70 books a week and that's significant? I'm like, that's a lot of books. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I can see how, like, it takes a while of being in the industry and also knowing other authors. There's like, you can understand intellectually the realities of the business that you're operating in. And then there's the emotional reality of like, do you want to just live in a fantasy land where you're not being confronted with like the hard data of your actual book as an right. object that people are trying to buy? <laughs> right. Yes. And not everybody's up for that conversation, especially if they're new in their career or if the numbers are not blockbuster amazing because you almost never read about specific numbers in publishing mm-hmm. unless it's a giant author like if it's an article on like Raina Telgemeier like yes. sure they'll have like 3.5 million books in print I don't actually that's out of date I'm sure it's way more than it's that it's probably more um, right <laughs> but you know or like a personal friend yeah. who's willing to let you look at their um what is it, book scan yeah. numbers in their Amazon oh, Author yeah. Central or something, which you should not be able to do. That's a terrible thing to don't, be able to don't do. Don't ever do that to an author. Um, yeah. you, there's no way that you'd even know any yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm an English major. I never thought I'd be dealing with math so, so much. Um, but it's the reality. I mean, again, I feel very, very lucky to be selling something that I believe in so strongly, but also you do have to keep in mind that this is a business and lights have to come on. People have to get paid. Paper costs money. So these are, yeah, the number is a, the number and sales are a real reality. Um, but it doesn't have to be Raina. It doesn't have to be uh, Dave Pilkey. Dave Pilkey. No, it doesn't. I mean, it would be amazing if it was. <laughs> it's come my way. Um, but it, it doesn't at all. Sometimes books um, take time. I mean, we go to a print and mind meeting where we, um, another room we all sit in, and we decide, you know, oh, we're almost out of this book. We need more. We, we print more. And Macmillan has such a large backlist. Um, sometimes books will come up, flash, and I've never seen them before because I didn't sell them at the time. And but maybe that theme is working for me and my accounts right now. And I'll scribble a little note, look into it, read it, maybe ask for a copy from the warehouse. And we're having a brand new conversation about a book 10 years later. That's also the kind of cool thing about working with such a tangible product is that it's always going, it's mostly always going to exist. And trends are cyclical. Um, there Things come back and... Um, yeah, it's constant conversations. It's very nice as coming from like an authorial perspective mm-hmm. anyway, to hear somebody whose job is sales to be talking so much about the long tail of things. Because yeah. I think that there can be a feeling there's so much momentum in this business about mm-hmm. pre-orders and like your right. first week of sales, and your first month of sales. I mean, yeah. my book is coming out in February, so I'm like deep in the shit <laughs> of this particular. No, I mean, it's fine, but I'm like, I'm like, li- I'm like living in yeah. this world of like, you've only got two weeks to your book comes out. What are you doing with your time? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, like, why are you doing anything other than oh being God. online, being entertaining so that people buy your book? It's like dance, I mean, monkey dance. It, well, and, there's, and there's a reason like people push you to do that for a reason because it's nice yes. if it works out that way and it's very nice 
to be having this conversation with you, having been like, yes, sometimes a book's been out for 10 years and all of a sudden people care about it again. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's all a long tail, especially in kids, right? So the graphic novel conversation is exactly that. This whole stack of books right here, some of them are galleys. A lot of them are backlist that Barnes & Noble has never promoted, ever, ever. They don't even have a space for it. And here we are having this conversation about it, sending books, um, sending sales figures, saying, yeah, this published eight years ago and you don't have any share and you don't have any sales, but this is all happening. This is bubbling up. So um, get on board. You're like assembling an end cap for them. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so good. Yeah. So... If you're only meeting in person, like, two or three authors a season, Mm -hmm. maybe at most four or five Mm -hmm. authors a season, what gets you excited about an author Mm -hmm. if it's not, you know, meeting them in person in the way that an editor would say, like, oh, yeah, I got on the phone with this person. I thought they were great. Like, what about an author makes you say, this person seems really super Mm -hmm. and that's going to help me sell their book to Barnes and Noble and Ingram. Right. Um, I think enthusiasm translates really, really well. You would think everyone would be enthusiastic about their books, but also just, you know, I want to know exactly how, like where you were in your room writing this book. I want to know all the ins and outs, basically the annotated chapter of like, what kind of tea were you drinking when you wrote that one scene? I find that all very interesting and all very humanizing. Cause I think also when we go into this room, I go into, you know, any of us go into a room with a buyer, it can be very just title number, title number, title number. Um, but what makes them very excited and you have to think I'm only representing 1200 books a year um, but they're seeing every single publisher in the company and in the in the country rather and all of their lists so like everything starts to kind of meld together so what can i say about this one author to make the book really stand out so um really just anything like anything anecdotally about your experience um a lot of times the editor will bring that in an acquisition meeting where they'll say, like, I have been watching this person from this time and they published this book or they didn't and the, or I just met them in a coffee shop and they gave me this book. And then I will probably repeat that to the buyer saying it was just this kind of meet cute between an editor and an author and here we are. So I don't know. I, I kind of love those really humanizing details um, as an author, enthusiasm. I don't know, just... You know, it's like meeting anyone. I I really, I hope that it's not too um, weird meeting us because we care so much about <laughs> the book also. And we want every single book to work. And like I said, even if the book, even if your other books aren't working, like we have your book now for a reason. We believe in that. So um, I just, I like, you know, um, if you could maybe post a little bit on Instagram. But other than that... <laughs> Just a little bit. Also, did I hear you correctly that you're personally working on 1,200 books a year? Yeah. So it has grown. It has grown. Gee um, whiz. That's a lot of books. It's a lot of books. It's a lot. I mean, and that is a wholly owned Macmillan. And also we have several distribution clients. Um, and we just added two more this year. Yeah, actually, this year, and it's February. Um, so, so many. It's so many books. It's so many books. It's a lot. Like, you know, they're they're relatively spaced out. I mean, we publish a lot of YA fantasy. We just got Mary Lou on as an author at Macmillan, and um, I kind of talked to some of the other BNN reps because we're all doing the same job. We actually occasionally will meet and have wine because we call it group therapy. <laughs> it's cheaper than therapy. Um <laughs> And, um, you know, we'll talk about that. And people were like, oh, you have all these big fantasy authors in Macmillan. And so, so yeah, we, um, we do have a lot of books to keep up with. It's not as hard as you think it is. Books bubble up for so many different reasons. Some, like I said, front list, top line stuff is usually should take care of itself. Other stuff comes in. I'll see the sample copy or an arc will come in, a galley will come in. And it'll jog some memory of some conversation that I wanted to have with somebody. Um, other times I'll get an email and it'll have been reviewed in book list. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. Actually, what's really cool is a lot of times books that are kind of under the radar and maybe they'll get a couple of really great trade reviews. Like there was a book recently that was compared to Cormac McCarthy. And I just thought, 
like that's the best endorsement um, this book could ever get. And so I just took that review from SLJ and sent it to the buyer and said, hey, we need to watch this. Um, so that they kind of it happens in a lot of different ways to bring your attention back to things that maybe didn't have your attention initially. You do have to pay attention. So that's that's it. Yeah. You just have to drink a lot of coffee and pay attention. <laughs> so when you're hearing about those meat cutes and all of that, that's usually from the editor. Yeah. You're not kind of like going and researching the author on the internet and... Um, sometimes, so mostly no. Sometimes yes. Sometimes yeah. if there's a really big expectation, I will look an author up and I'll... I'll note whether it was easy to find that person. That's huge. I'll note whether the person in this day and age has an Instagram account, uh, Facebook, what the followers are, what the what the engagement is like, which is very different. You can have a bunch of followers, but if you haven't posted in three months, that's a huge problem. Things like that. So yeah, it, it depends on this, um, the, the book, but sometimes I will look look an author up. Sometimes I'll look an author up and notice that they're linking directly to a competitor's account. And I'll say, can you put the landing page up? I have a couple of friends who are authors. And I know it's like, again, asking them to do this whole other job. In addition to being an author, you have to maintain this presence. And I blame the Kardashians fully for like celebrity culture. Um, But it's kind of part of it now. Um, And I promise you it doesn't have to be pretty, but it, it kind of has to exist. Authors spend a lot of time talking about the sort of personal professional. It's a really, I mean, I think with cartoonists, it's actually especially a thing. I don't really know why. I think it might be because so many cartoonists are much more public facing than a normal author is because comic shows are you're much more likely to be behind a table directly selling your books to people especially your core audience Mm -hmm. than like like prose authors don't hand sell their books to people yeah exactly like you might be at a book festival and that's about it so i feel like cartoonists especially spend a lot of time thinking about uh am i going to have a public version of myself that i'm curating in a particular way and there's this understanding that people are interested in your book but they're also interested in you and that's more true for some people than for others but it's a huge thing that people spend a lot of time discussing yeah no i mean it's kind of it's back to the exclusive edition and that's all it is is getting to know a little bit more about the author what does their handwriting look like that's really interesting we just had a hourly comic day oh yeah on friday and that's like peak you have hourly comic day. Everybody draws comics all day or doesn't and feels bad about right. it. Either they draw them and feel bad about it or they don't and feel bad about it. And then the whole weekend is everybody processing, why do we do this? <laughs> oh, no, subject ourselves. <laughs> Everybody's miserable. Yeah, no, it's a lot. Actually, um, Lucy Nicely is a great example of someone who has created, uh, she gave her son a fake name um, to kind of, kind of keep a little bit for herself. And so the rest of her life is out there. Her cat is all out there, and he's, like, really the star of the show. Um, but, but yeah, she doesn't use her son's name. And I think, you know, that's – it's, it's again, it's so hard. We, we ask a lot of authors, and a lot of the self-promotion is, I can't, is unenviable. Um, but it's, um, you know, a little bit goes a long way. So – Are there things that while authors are building this public presence for themselves, they shouldn't do Mm -hmm. because either you, the team of sales reps here or Barnes and Noble, Ingram, the national accounts are going to be like, this author did that. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. doing this sort of thing. Right. We don't really want to be featuring them in their books. Right. I mean, like, Try not to be racist at any time. It's like the number one rule, I think. It's um, good advice. Right? The other rule is um, we don't love when you link to one particular account. That's kind of it. Everything else is totally fair game. All the pictures of your food or your cat or your child or the book or other books you like, um, all fair game. Any caption, no caption. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's, it's pretty much, it's all welcome. I mean, show your book every once in a while, but it also, like, it doesn't have to be anything super special. I think the same thing that excites people is, like, when they don't know what's, what the process looks like. So, first pass, like, what does that mean? Any kind of process, you know, you got a blurb or you didn't get a blurb and you want to talk about that. Um, I don't know. I think detail is great and because people don't know. It's not their job. They don't know about it. So, if you're sharing 
any little part triumphs um, and not. Um, I think people respond to, they respond to real, you know, they'll respond to that. So we talked about exclusive editions. Are there other things that an account might ask for if they're super excited about a book other than, you know, an annotated chapter? Um, Sometimes social media, they'll ask specifically for, um, you know, to be included in a post or something that they can repost. Barnes & Noble just started testing out a gift with purchase item. So, you know, a, a bookmark that you get with a with a purchase of the book or you know we just designed some trading cards for one of our authors and you get those trading cards when so another opportunity for them to offer something that no one else can get they also have a website themselves Barnes and Noble yeah sometimes what we'll put on the account is an author video so you reading the book or you talking about the book you talking about anything really just a, again another touch point for the customer the fan to see you and to, for everything to be a little bit more human sometimes we put up playlists um, an author's playlist um, sometimes we put up a reading list all kinds of stuff it's all very much getting to know you so sometimes the accounts will ask for that um, I'm trying to think what does Ingram else. do do they have like a catalog where they feature authors or yeah. any sort of so again um, Ingram is not as much consumer facing. They don't have a retail channel. They actually sell to Amazon and Barnes and Noble their online um, resources, and they also they mostly sell books to libraries and um, independent bookstores across the country. Super important outlets. Hugely, hugely um, school library supported books. It's a huge decider. Um, yeah, so they have catalogs where all the books um, are featured. It's so There's some marketing involved. Sometimes you can buy a big, splashy, full-page ad, two-page. You can be on the front cover of the, the, the catalog. Um, they send a catalog out once a month. Actually, they have various catalogs. They're broken into genres, their, their age range. There's a holiday catalog. There's a, a Christian resources catalog. And they, those go out to their you know, all of their, their contacts, the, the accounts you buy from them. And it's also, it's also hugely important. We do galley mailings with them also. So we send, they do a YA and um, a middle grade uh, galley mailer. And we send 200 copies to the top 200 um, librarians in that channel. And um, that's a, that's a huge deal. Um, yeah, that's, that's mostly it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of what you're talking about with the awards um, and the reviews, especially the the trade reviews, um, that is directly to them. Sometimes some book will be featured somewhere on television, and it takes the big guys a lot of effort to, if they didn't have the book in the store, to get the book in the store in enough time after a segment has aired sometimes doesn't necessarily happen unless we have you know, heads up. Yeah. So Ingram will take some of that. Um, Ingram gets a piece of that and it's, it's, it's good as they should. So you talked about awards. You talked about getting on television. Just two little things. Yeah. Yeah. Wake up on Tuesday, get on television. Not super (laughs) in an author's control. Is there, is there anything that you've seen an author do Mm -hmm. that has made an account get excited at? Taking notice. Yeah, yeah. They're they're really in a get a go getter, an up and coming person. Um, I think it's um one of the so uh, authors who who really never stop putting their books out there. I mean, walking around with your book, um, and handing it to people and talking about it at every opportunity. And again, I'm sure it's very difficult to kind of self promote all the time, but I think people take notice of that. It's not annoying at all. It is. It's it's again. It's kind of part of the job and if it gets into the right hands and the right people keep talking about it then it'll it'll get somewhere else um another thing is you know some authors are out um and scheduling store visits and school visits um this is not my purview so on their own maybe um depends it depends okay um that's a publicity question and so that's another thing you know if an author is going uh, to schools and they're selling 
a lot of copies at the school or, or they're getting, you know, really great feedback from children and educators, then that usually will come back to us. It's kind of on either the author telling the editor about the great response or telling their marketer or publicist. And then those people will come back to us and say, so-and-so was just out on the road. They sold 400 copies in the last two days at these, you know, couple of schools and the kids are really excited. uh, And that means something totally. So that kind of stuff, when it gets back to us, um, you try and kind of capitalize on it and use it to have another conversation. I also want to dive into this related topic, which is that you're, so you're a national accounts manager, which is a specific kind of sales rep. Yeah. What other kinds of sales reps are there? Yeah. So national accounts is what it sounds like. We work with accounts that have a national nationwide um, presence. So um, Barnes and Noble is everywhere. Is everywhere. 360. Sorry, that's backwards. Dyslexia. Um, 630 stores nationwide. Um, Amazon also Amazon is another one. Everywhere. Target. Only a couple of stores. Target, exactly. Um, There's the independents. So they're indie um, indie reps, and they service all of the independent bookstores across the country. There are many. I will not even pretend to know what the number is. And they, like, travel around driving from store to store. They're amazing. They are like the real on the road driving force. Um, They're, I don't know if they literally have books in their trunks anymore, but they might. And um, they're the ones kind of out there hitting the pavement and um, sending real time feedback from the stores who are getting much more individualized feedback from their communities. So indie reps, um, the, we have international sales reps who sell all of the all of our books that we print here. They sell rights um, to all the different countries. We have, I mean, we have kids reps. We have adult reps. Gift reps. Gift reps. Oh, gift reps are so important. Special markets. So special markets is, um, I used to work in special markets, so I geek out about it. Special <laughs> markets is any store that isn't a traditional bookstore. So um, the big ones like Anthropology is a special markets um uh, Cabela's. Are you guys familiar with Cabela's? Yes. It's like a fish and tie. Yeah. Cabela's. They're crazy. Yeah. I went to a giant one in Wisconsin <laughs> on a road trip and I was like, wow, it's like a theme park it where you can buy things. Just a, like, it's just a giant. Have you been to one of these? No, you I've would never not heard like of it. this it's place. It's like a huge taxidermy <laughs> diorama that you walk through in the middle of it. Yeah. But the size of a small country. It's like a mall for camping and shooting things. Right. (laughs) But they sell books. Um, So, like, uh, it's crazy. Urban Outfitters. Yeah, urban. I sold a a not book to a crane company once, and they just usually um, had, like, manuals on how to run your cranes, (laughs) and then they also (laughs) bought this stinking not book that I sold to them. It was actually a really good book. Um, Museums also. Museum stores. Museum sales, another one that's really, really big. Um, and couldn't really drive a book. So if your book takes off um, at, a, at a museum, that's something else that, uh, again, it takes time, but that's telling. It means, you know, those are, those are that's a hard sell. Um, that's a very, very curated list of titles, and, you know, there are only so many people walking through at any given time. So um, if a book is really working um, at, a, at a gallery, then that's that's really important. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of merch. So, um Walmart, Costco, Sam's Club, all the reader link. Yeah, the big um, the big reader link umbrella, which I will not pretend to understand at all. Um, also, Scholastic. Scholastic's another one. Scholastic is um, like they're, the book fairs. Yes, so they're um, a national account, and again, I'm definitely going to get this wrong, but they have the. Um, I'm not even going to go into it. They've actually, got, <laughs> they've got it fairs where they set up directly in schools yeah. and kids can come in and buy books and clubs where it's newsletters and kids can order books. Right. And at Mac Kids, the sales team <laughs> is the one who's representing your list to yeah. Scholastic. Yeah, absolutely. Scholastic um, book fairs were actually the only, uh, outside of the library where I grew up, was the only way you can get books. We didn't have a bookstore even within driving distance. So um, they're hugely, hugely important. So if a book starts working at Scholastic or even gets licensed at Scholastic, that's another conversation that we can have again. Yeah, um, because it's not just titles that are published by Scholastic that get right, in the fairs and the clubs. Right, they license a lot of other publisher titles also. So what do you say to people who want to have your job? Do you have advice for them and how to grow up into you? Um, 
So first of all, don't be scared of sales. It's <laughs> um, um, Try and sell something that you really like. So uh, my move to Macmillan was largely because I wanted to work solely on children's books. I used to sell adult and children, and I wanted to really hone in on what it was that I really liked the most about my job, which was children's books. So coming here was a part of that, and um, it is, it's paid off. It's a really nuanced part of the business. It's really exciting. It changes all the time, and you're doing what what I think is like the best work, which is helping children's literacy. Um, so I think try, you know, figure out what, what books do you read? Who publishes those books is a really great place to start. Uh, and then kind of dig a little bit deeper into what that house is about. So house being like Macmillan or Penguin Random House or HMH. Um, and um, that's one way reaching out to, to people who are already in the industry. I mean, LinkedIn is a really amazing resource. Um, uh, also, just DM people on Instagram. I think it's a totally open space now. Maybe, like, figure out how to write a little bit of a, you know, your, your own pitch letter. Um, and, and just, like, open up to people. Um, let them know you're interested. No one got here without talking to someone else, without help, without a little luck, um, and so I firmly believe that, um, like, paying it forward, you know, should should happen. Does sales have interns at Macmillan? So we, at Macmillan, we don't, actually. Um, That's what I was wondering. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. Before. Yeah, no, we, um, I feel like interns is mostly a marketing publicity but, thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so no interns in sales, but I think that's another thing. So if you're getting an internship in some part of the industry, Recently, we had an intern who was interning in editorial, but the editor who he was um, kind of reporting to at the time took him around to do almost informational interviews with uh, with different department people, um, and just for him to get a sense of what he might or might not like. If you, you know, if he was in editorial, but actually publicity sounded really amazing to him, and he wants to go in that direction. Because I think, again, when I got here, I was applying to editorial jobs, and now I would realize that that was in no way the the place I was supposed to be. So if you if you are working on uh, or you do have an internship, encourage your direct report to kind of um, to, to set up those meetings with you. And most people will say yes to those. And do you think experience working in a bookstore is really helpful? I think it is, but I also think that you it's not a end all. It, it's not a have to. Um, I didn't work in a bookstore. Um, I worked in an art gallery in college. So a lot of the part that I love about my job now is cover meeting. I really love the design of books. I'm not a designer. I am not an artist. I am solely an appreciator. But that is something that definitely interests me. And, and that kind of previous experience informs what I do now. Another thing is, what what are you doing right now, and how can you kind of segue that into anything that is done inside a house? Chances are, your your skills could be helpful here. Can you talk a little bit about the best and worst parts of your job? What what do you love the most and the least? Um, what I love the most is, um, I mean. I love when a book works, clearly. <laughs> yeah, it's real, that's a really good part. Yeah, it's a good part. And it actually happened this morning, and I was just like, yes, it happened. Um, I love uh, seeing kids on the subway reading our books. It happens. It's infrequent, but it is amazing. This morning, I saw a little kid uh, and his mom reading a book that I worked on several years ago, and I kind of chuckled and was just like, okay, you're doing, you're doing a good job. You know, like, this is important. I take photos and send them to people. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, that's what I saw you on the train once, and you were reading. What were you reading? Were you reading The Adventure Zone? Possibly. I, I did think you were. I think you were. You were reading it, and I was like, who's that lady reading Adventure Zone? And then I saw it was you, and then we talked. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's always um, – and honestly, if I see anyone reading, I will always try and sneak a peek at the cover and then, like, either silently judge them or get really excited <laughs> or – Yeah. Do you have a least favorite part of your job? Least favorite part of my job. Um, when books don't work and you thought they were going to, which happens a lot. And it's just, it's hard to pinpoint sometimes when something doesn't hit right. So many people have put so much time, years and years into something, and then it just doesn't happen. And, um, you know, 
you can do a postmortem, um, you can try and write the whatever was wrong, but it's really hard to say sometimes. And that's always really disappointing because it is years of work on everyone's part. The other thing is just when, um, when like really, I mean, book world things go wrong is no one's dying on a table anywhere. So like take this all pretty lightly, but I like, I had a book once um, where we printed trading cards in the back and they were scratch and sniff and we printed 30,000 copies and when they were tested, when the scratch and sniff was tested in at the bindery, um, they were cool. So they shipped them to the States. When they got here, they have to be retested because they're for children. And they were officially poisonous. <laughs> so when that kind of stuff happens and there's just nothing you can do about you that. You them in the mulcher. You that have point. to pulp them. Yeah, yeah, you have to pulp them and you have to kind of like frantically call the printer in the U.S. and say, we need this book tomorrow. Oh um, and you, c- because we can't poison, poison children. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably without so the poison. Yeah, no. It so, has to be exactly the same, except without the accidental poison. Yeah. So that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's pretty earth-shattering. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're kind of coming to the end of this interview. Is there anything else about being a sales rep, about book publishing, that you want to talk about that we missed? Any parts of your job that you... I feel like I didn't shout out for a second, which is my current home graphic novel um, imprint uh, publisher. And they're doing uh, a lot of really cool work. And I'm just really, really happy to be a part of it. Like I said, I've been... I feel like I fell into the comics world. I I don't know nearly as much as I should, but it's been this really amazing journey to kind of watch something that wasn't a thing necessarily become this thing. And everyone's starting to realize how amazing it is. And the books are winning awards and the authors are going on longer tours. And it's kind of like you you feel like you've really been a part of something and you've seen it um and we're not even there yet which is really tip of the iceberg um and they've been a champion since the very beginning also if you haven't read the best we could do by tai bui that is a great book to read and um i think that's it okay where can people find you online it seems like you're into instagram on instagram yeah (laughs) i don't have any i think i have a twitter that i never use um and i don't have a facebook so instagram just brigman yeah if you want to see pictures of my kid in a swing that's hot content right there place yeah Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us here. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Graphic Novel TK, where we have hopefully delved deep into the sales rep mystery. Uh, Up next, we're going to talk about distribution, which is kind of the other side of the sales rep coin. So we're excited for that episode. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at graphicnoveltk or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com. I am a fool and forgot to turn my microphone on initially because I was so worried about your microphone. So I'm going to say my name so I can edit it into the podcast. <laughs> I That's apologize. It. This Crap is what podcasting is all like. Good. Looking like an idiot. And I'm Allison Wilgus. <laughs> That's Perfect. It. We're good Perfect. Now. Oh, it's good. Amazing.